since we've been able to go into outer space, we've gotten an incredible view of the Earth. And you take a look at it, and it is a thing of beauty. Uh, you can't help but imagine um, with what we know of what lives on this Earth, the incredible detail that went into the creation of it. Uh, it's unique of all the orbs that are flying around the universe and even our own solar system. It supports this thing called life. And uh, I just love these views. And it just tells you that there's something alive down here. But at the same time, when you get closer and you get down to the level of the ground, you realize that there's this species called humankind that has become the dominant feature on the face of the Earth. And for all that's beautiful about the Earth, there's also something very, very wrong about it. Uh, you can make a long list of the ills of mankind, uh, even in our own society, whether it be the gun violence or whether it be the unrest, whether it be the illnesses that are plaguing us, whether it be the tensions politically, uh, whatever it is, um, there is plenty that can bring us what we know as gloom. And as I've talked to people that have tried to make their way through the pandemic, myself included, um, we find that uh, gloom has descended upon many of us in different ways and in different um, amounts. And I don't know about you, but I want to find my way through the gloom. I want to get out from under it. Uh, yesterday was one of those days that it was challenging to get out of bed, wasn't it? Uh, not only had winter descended upon us, not only had um, the uh, storm dumped its rain on us, but lo and behold, we're, we're at a place where um, we, we just, we're just tired of it all. And so if we could just curl up in a fetal position and let the world pass us by, we'd be okay. But what is it you're going to do with your gloom? What is it you're going to do to lift it? And so we want to look at the prophet Isaiah this morning. And the thing that's incredible about the prophet Isaiah is, is he was dealing very much with what was going on in the lives of his people where they had angered God so much to the place where God said, I'm going to bring the armies of Assyria to trouble you, to bring pestilence, to bring war, to bring struggles to you, and you will know gloom. That's how bad things had gotten. And yet, woven in between all of the prophecies of the judgments that were yet to come on the nation of Israel, are words like, nevertheless, there will be a hope for Israel. And we want to look at one of those passages this morning in Isaiah chapter 9. But here in chapter 8 is what we find the summary of all of this gloom that had descended upon the nation of Israel. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land, and when they are famished, they will become enraged and they'll look upward. They'll curse their king and their God. And is that not a commentary on some of what we see today? People just have nothing but, but cursing for their president and cursing for their God. It just seems to be the mode of operation in America today and in Western society. We want to blame everything on the politician that's in charge, and we want to blame the rest of it on the God who created this earth and left it in such a mess. And so Israel was going to be the place where they're distressed, they're hungry, and they're going to roam through the land. And when they look up, rather than seeking God's help, they will curse their king, and their God. Then they'll look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fear and gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. What an incredible description of some of the frustration we feel. And, and believe me, with all that the United States has experienced in the last few months, it's still a light touch 
We have not had war on our own land. We have not had famine. We have not had all things. We've had struggles. We've had real battles that we've had to fight. But nothing like what Isaiah is describing here. And yet we're still shaking our fist at the heavens and cursing our leaders as if it's all their fault. No one ever wanting to ask the question, what about our hearts that have contributed to all of this? Um, I've had the, you know, President Trump was an interesting phenomenon in that everything was his fault. And I've got to tell you, as a preacher who believes in the sinful nature of mankind, I said, isn't anybody going to take responsible for, be responsible for their own actions? Everybody's angry, but it was President Trump made me angry. Everybody's upset, but it was this politician or that politician or somebody else that made me angry. And heaven forbid that it would ever be a problem of the heart that got us where we are. Distressed and hungry, they'll curse their God and they'll curse their leaders. And so what was the message that God gave to Isaiah in the midst of all of this gloom and doom? He said, the Lord spoke to me with a strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. So everybody's looking for an answer to dig out of the gloom. Everybody's looking for a way to find some answer to what is pressing in upon them. Whether it's the touch of a pandemic or whether it's war or whether it's disagreement over politics or anything else. But God gives you this warning. Be careful that you don't listen to the words of man and disregard the words of God. Everybody wants to say, who needs the church? The church is old-fashioned. There's no need for the church in this day and in this time. But God says to you through the prophet Isaiah, don't follow the way of this people. Don't listen to Hollywood just because they're the popular ones. Don't listen to the intelligentsia because they're the ones that are in charge of the universities. Don't listen to all of them, but listen to me and my word. And it's interesting that when he gave this prophecy to Isaiah, he said to Isaiah, he said, there will be a God that will see you through all of this, and he will be a sanctuary. But for both the northern part of Israel and the southern part of Israel, he's going to be a stumbling block. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ has become today. He's become a stumbling block. A, man, a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that causes them to fall. And so the Christmas story is incredible in all of its beauty. But Jesus comes on the scene and even as a baby, they're already trying to kill him when Herod sends his minions to destroy anyone in Bethlehem that had been born during that time period. And then he grows to be a man and all he does is, is claim to be the king of the kingdom of God. And Rome doesn't know what to do with him and so they along with the popular people of the day nail him to a cross and destroy him and throw him in a grave. Not knowing that it is the God of this universe that created it all that had the power to raise him from the dead. And so this one that would be a sanctuary for those that put their trust in him, he'd also be a stumbling block even to those that call on the name of God. And so who will he be for you? And I have this answer for you today that God has an answer for your gloom. doesn't matter if it's pandemic-induced, illness-induced. Um, I shared with you last week that I got a very bad cut on my finger that's going to uh, foul up my ability to play the guitar for the foreseeable future. And for that one reason, I've just been, I, I've just been a mess. And I just wish that the problem would go away, but it doesn't go away. And I need an answer to my gloom. I need an answer for that which is pressing upon me at any given time and in any given way. I want something that's going to give me a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Something that will help us through this dark of winter. Something that will help us to deal with the sin that tears at our lives day after day after day. 
and even the others that press in upon us. And so the first thing we find in this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 is that there's help for those in distress. Um, the Scriptures sum up the Gospels this way in the book of John. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And there's a help for those in distress. And so we find this word, nevertheless. Even though there will be all this distress and even though there will be a stumbling of the people of God, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, He humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, He will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. And he's saying that there's going to be an answer to the gloom of Israel. And the reason that he singles out Zebulun and Naphtali is because they were the two northern tribes. And there were two large tribes that their armies were strong enough that people thought twice before they messed with them. And that was the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Ephraim. And nobody wanted to mess with them unless they knew they had a way to go. But they had no problem walking all over Zebulun and Naphtali. They were always the first to experience the gloom. They were always the first. They were called the doormat of Israel. Um, following the fall of communism, I had a chance to travel to Eastern Europe, and one of the places I went was um, Minsk in Belarus. And Minsk was called the doormat of Europe. As the armies marched toward Russia, they would wipe their feet and destroy it. And as they walked the other way and marched back, they would wipe their feet on Minsk and utterly destroy it. And so this is Zebulun and this is Naphtali. But God says, out of you, not out of Judah, not out of the schools of Jerusalem and all of the places that you might think are the places where you're going to find esteem, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring this salvation out of Galilee. Nazareth would be where Jesus would make His home. And a town called Bethlehem is where He would be born. But it, he would be walking the shores of Galilee, a place that had been overrun by the Gentiles by the time of Rome. And even Nazareth was a Gentile community and a Gentile city. But this is where God would do His work and this is what He would use. So where are you searching for your answer to gloom today? Where are you looking for it? Are you looking to Jesus and are you looking to the Promised One? We also find that this answer to gloom is going to be a light that brings joy. And I love the way that he describes it, that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. Have you let Christmas bring a little joy to your heart because of what it really means? The coming of Jesus? Um, all of us are feeling the pressure of what's going on around us. Are you letting Jesus do His work? Are you stopping for just a little bit of time and saying, God, thank you for what these lights represent? And then Jesus would, would dare to say to the people of His day, I am the light of the world. If somebody were to rise up now and say that, you would consider them a nut job. Somebody not even worthy of any of your attention. But Jesus would say it. He would own it. He would mean it, and He would die as that light. And so if you're walking in darkness today and gloom has descended upon you and you want to find a way out, are you letting the light of Jesus bring joy to your heart? One of the passages we shared a few uh, weeks ago in our messages was Philippians chapter 4. And that command in Scripture to rejoice in the Lord always, I say it again, rejoice. And some people find rejoicing a challenge. 
and they find any sense of joy in their lives a difficult thing. But if you discover Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, He brings a light to your heart and a joy to your eyes that you can't imagine. I just spent some time this morning in the quietness of the morning. We had put our Christmas tree up uh, and there was a big rocking chair in front of it. And wherever I sit at my desk um, and do my study at home, and wherever I sit on the couch when we're in the living room, I just couldn't appreciate the tree, so I wanted it out of the way. So I moved everything so I could see the light. And one of the reasons why we don't experience the joy that is ours in Jesus Christ is, is because we've got a lot of stuff in the way. We have things that are blocking our view of Him. And you've got to slow down and take some time to get rid of all the junk that's in between you and Jesus and say, I want to embrace Him for who He is because He will be the one that increases the joy of any nation. And He will be the one that will allow you to bring rejoicing before Him. I love the music of the season. And uh, if you talk to Kathy, she'll tell you I've probably been playing it too much. Um, I go to leave the house and they say, would you like me to turn it off now? And she says, yeah, please. <laughs> and it's not because she doesn't like Christmas music, but, just it, it can get, but Jesus is the one that brings the joy to our hearts. The people that are walking in darkness need to see a light, and that light is Jesus. The beautiful thing about Jesus is, is that he's an end to the ills of man. Uh, we want to try to find a cure for this pandemic and for the coronavirus. And so we've had money poured into the um, research and uh, all kinds of things made possible to bring these vaccines and cures and, and treatments to light. Um, but the Christian... The person that's searching for a way out of the gloom knows that you've got to deal with something more than just illness. You've got to deal with the gloom that has descended on us because of the sins of man. And Jesus is that promise that is going to bring an end to the ills of man. As in the day of Midian's defeat, the prophecy would go on, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. Jesus is going to even take away any need for war. And isn't it interesting that when he built the church, he didn't build the church by war. He didn't say, I want you to go out and conquer nations and give them Jesus. He said, just take this good news of forgiveness of sins and you'll turn the world upside down. And so if you look at every nation on the face of the earth, God's kingdom exists there. Even when it's been driven out by... Um, leaders that have tried to destroy it at every turn. Midian was where Gideon had his great victory. And the short story of Midian is just this. The armies of the Amalekites would come in and march against, uh, overrun Israel every spring, during, every fall during the harvest. Uh, they would take the harvest away and they would leave them destitute. And along comes uh, the army once again and God appears to Gideon and says, Gideon, I want to use you. And so Gideon raises a meager army of uh, 30,000 people to go up against an army of over 100,000. And God says, here's how I want you to fight this battle. I want you to leave your army behind and, and just take the band. Just take a group of 100 of your best soldiers with a torch in one hand and a, a, a ram's horn in the other and just blow that ram's horn and watch what I do. And so God defeated the army of Midian under Gideon. And it just was a beautiful story of how God does things. 
And so if you want to know how to conquer sin and the problems of sin and how it plagues us at every turn, you know, when I look at the ills of mankind, everybody wants to blame the other political party, but please start blaming the dark hearts of mankind. Please understand that it's a sin problem, that if there's any problem that's systemic in our nation, it's the problem of sin, and it's systemic around the world. It just is taking us over. And so it is, if you want an end to war, you need to look to Jesus. If you want an end to the ills of mankind, look to Jesus. And how is he able to do it? It's because he will be a son that is born unlike any other. And this is one of the most beautiful prophecies of the coming of Jesus that you will find anywhere in Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, I have been watching politics for a long time, hoping that whoever we elect will help us some way to be a better nation and a better people. And we like to think this about our people that we elect, that some are better than others. And if you're Democrats, you think it's the Democrat. If, you think, if you're a Republican, you think it's the Republican. If you're an Independent, you know it's not either, but you vote for the one you think will get you there. But in all of my years, I have never heard anybody who's been the president or king of any nation, unless they were held at gunpoint, say that their leader was a wonderful counselor, that their leader was mighty God, that their leader was everlasting father, and that their leader was prince of peace. We give the Nobel Peace Prize to people for accomplishing one small little piece of, of the pursuit of peace around our world and around our globe. And yet Jesus will give us the foundation for one day establishing a kingdom that will never end. And this is our Jesus. And so when Jesus would say, I am, and Jesus would say, I am the light of the world, and Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he earned it because he also had the title, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are words that lift me out of gloom. I haven't had any politician that's been able to promise me what this prophecy promises me in Jesus Christ. I haven't had anything uh, offer me what this is offering me. And I've had some good people in my life. I had a mother and a father that were an incredible blessing. I had teachers all through my schooling that were incredible blessings. I had people in the church that I grew up in that I considered to be godly men and women that um, took good care of me and watched over me. But none of them earned the title Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. He was a son unlike any other. And then it's going to lead to an uncompromised administration. We've just been through another political battle that just doesn't seem to be over yet. And uh, everybody wants to accuse everybody else of being liars, cheats, thieves, um, all of that. President Trump's administration was called uncom or compromised from the very beginning with impeachment proceedings and all the rest. And so every president has had stains of various kinds on his leadership and on his administration. But when this son, unlike any other, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, takes over in his kingdom, 
it's going to be an uncompromised administration. He offers, uh, you know, we, we find these offers great of everything from uh, help to buy food to college education and on it is, but we always ask the question, who's going to pay for it? Jesus comes along and he says, I will pay for your sin problem. And nobody doubts where the money's going to come from. His shed blood. That's an uncompromised administration. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. There's a lot of confusion about what's going to take place in the end times. And the truth is, is that we will not know until it happens exactly how it will all play out. But there are many of us that believe that this prophecy speaks of the coming millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. But I believe also, even more importantly, it, it's the coming of his kingdom now among the church and reigning among his people and reigning as the king on David's throne in your life and in your heart and in the life of the church. I have this challenge for you. Uh, we have a very easy habit of saying this is our church. But I want to challenge you to start realizing that it is God's church. It belongs to Jesus Christ. It's His. And anything you want for it needs to be what's best for Jesus Christ and what's best for His church, not what's best for me. We have fought some wars in the church through the years. They were called the worship wars. Um, I first had my first skirmish after I got saved in 1972. And I went to my pastor in my church, and I had a guitar, and I said, can I play a song on Sunday night? And he said, I'll get back to you. And a week later, he gets back to me, and he says, we met together with the deacons, and, and uh, we, we've decided we'll let you play one song, one Sunday night every month on your guitar, but don't use it any more than that. And uh, did we fall in, out of love with the church? No, not at all. It was God's church, and we just said, well, what is it we need to do to make his church better? But we fought wars of the silliest kind. God wasn't concerned about whether it was a guitar or an organ that brought praise to him. He wasn't concerned about all the things, and eventually we made our way through it, and we all realized it, but it, it, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. It's his kingdom. He said his kingdom is here and now. And so when you think of what you need to do for the church of Jesus Christ, are you asking yourself, what does he want and what does he need? What's his mission and what's his purpose? Not what's my purpose and my comfort. Jesus will lead to an uncompromised administration. So if you want to find your way out of gloom, I would give you Jesus. Uh, he's the one that is the help for those that are in distress. Even though the armies were going to march against the nation of Israel, and bring pestilence, and bring death, and bring trial, and bring gloom. Nevertheless, there will be a light that will appear for those that need help. Let Jesus be that light. Let that light lead to joy in your heart. And um, here's the simple thing. You've got to take the stuff away that's blocking your view of the light. If it's sin in your life, confess it. We're coming to this table in just a few minutes. Let this table be a time where you just say, God, I confess my sins one more time and I turn away from them for your sake and for your glory. And 
Father, I believe that You and You alone will bring an end to the ills of men. And You have given us a Son unlike any other. Let me see Jesus for who He is this morning. And thank You that You have an uncompromised administration. I have no right to shake my fist at You for any reason under the sun, but may I submit to You as my Lord and God. And may this lift the gloom in Your life. Let's pray. Father, I ask for Your blessing this morning as we come to the table that's before us. I pray that it would be an opportunity for us to surrender some of the things that are blocking our view of this gift of Your Son that You've given to the church. I pray, Father, that we would see clearly Jesus high and lifted up and that He would be our hope and our help in the midst of a time of gloom. I pray, Father, that if anybody asks us how we're doing during this season, we could say, yeah, we're, we're struggling like everybody else, but we have joy in our hearts that can't be taken away because we've seen the light. We've seen Jesus, and we take hold of Him for all that He is. Father, may Your blessing be upon us as we seek communion with You in these final minutes of this service. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.